podcast hour february we're still celebrating black history month thank you for sticking around and listening thank you for following us on social media the chris williams podcast hour can be found on both ig and twitter at the chris will pod and on facebook the chris williams podcast hour today's podcast is very unique the podcast features a black award-winning boxing journalist. He has a great story coming from Jamaica to America to live the dream and spread his talents and knowledge. He's another pioneer. George Hansen Jr. is on the podcast to tell us his story, and it's a great story, and I think you'll appreciate it. Can't forget our sponsors, Yes Pallets. Yes Pallet, the pallet removal, waste removal, and recycling removal company that places risk mitigation, OSHA compliance, and customer-obsessed service first. They can upscale at a moment's notice and remove barriers to provide you with a safe and clean work environment. That's Yes Pallets. Enjoy the podcast, and again, thank you for joining us. This is the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. Welcome back to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour, and today I have one of the most unique contributors to the sport of boxing. He is a four-time Pennsylvania State Amateur Champion, possibly the best amateur to never go pro. He held the title of the Philadelphia Boxing Writer of the Year from 2012 to 2019. He is the mouthpiece, the Pope of pugilism, hailing from New Forest, Jamaica, and writing out of, the city, out of the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Please welcome to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour, the one and only Mr. George Hansen Jr. George, welcome to the podcast. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, not, not a problem at all. So thank you for taking the time to take part in our Black History Month celebration. So you absolutely have a unique story to discuss. So thank you for coming on and sharing your time on the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. So we're going to – this podcast is all about storytelling as well as shameless plugs. So it won't work unless you tell your stories, all right? Okay. All right. I think we can handle that. So, 
George, let's start here. Let's let's start talking. Uh, let's start by talking about your upbringing in New Forest, Jamaica. Kindly tell n- listeners where New Forest is, and what was New Forest like coming up there. Uh, New Forest is on the south coast of Jamaica, and Jamaica has thirteen parishes. Manchester is one of the thirteen parishes. So I grew up on a farm in a place called New Forest. My grandparents were the first people that lived there in 1936 since uh, the slave trade. It's about three miles from the beach, so I literally could see the ocean from our farm. Three miles away, my grandparents would go down there. So I grew up on a farm, I mean, in the forest, where there were only about three houses at the time there, and uh, they were all family members. So I grew up with my extended family. Uh, My father was a police officer in Kingston, and my mom had migrated here um, before us. So at eight months old, uh, I was, my grandmother came and got me from Kingston, and she had done the same previously for my sister, who's 364 days older than me. So we grew up on the farm with our extended family, our grandparents, um, my, my grandfather and grandmother, two of the greatest people, uh, the two greatest people I've ever met in my entire life. And there was no electrical running water. We only got electric on the farm in 2015. Um, So we grew up on a farm. We grew everything. We raised all our animals, chicken, cows, pigs, goats, sheep. We grew every single food you could think of. And there was a big mountain behind our house. So we would go in the mountains and, you know, it was I had the greatest childhood of anyone growing up, and my grandparents were all into education, so we, we read every day. We got the newspaper every day. We read from the newspaper. We did everything. I mean, we grew up reading. That's all we did was read, uh, work on the farm, go to school. I grew up in the greatest environment with the two greatest people that I've ever met in my entire life. And during that time, uh, my cousin, I grew up loving to fight because my older cousin, we used to wrestle and fight with the other kids uh, uh, in the community, on the farming community. So we travel around to other farms. My cousin was my matchmaker, my promoter. So I really <laughs> loved to fight and box. So I couldn't wait till I got to this country to find a boxing gym. And I arrived in Philadelphia when I was 11 years old and uh, started boxing when I was about 12, and I literally lived in a boxing gym. Two things I've been doing my entire life, reading books and going to the gym. My life has not changed, except now I'm working. So um, when we came here, went to Catholic school, ended up going to West Catholic High School, graduated number five in my high school, and uh, that was it. Went to Drexel. I love writing. And I uh, went to Drexel University. Uh, I majored in accounting and liberal arts. And uh, my junior year and senior year, my junior year, I believe, um, Drexel didn't have a boxing team, but I won the Outstanding Junior Sports Award. <laughs> At Drexel, I had won the Golden Gloves and the Outstanding Academic Achievement Award. So um, did well at Drexel University in the English department and the accounting department, graduated dual major, and my 
I was in an organization called Inroads for Talented Minorities. So during the summertime, I, I interned at, at Coopers and Library, which is now Price Woodhouse Coopers, as an accounting intern. Uh, okay. I guess I'll okay. give them the whole story. No, that, so that's good. After, that's good. In my senior year, my junior year, I had a chance to go to Harvard Business School to take classes uh, for a week in, in a program called the Summer Venture Program with interns from all over the country. I was encouraged by a professor to apply, and I applied to Harvard, and I got admitted my senior year at Drexel on deferred admission for Harvard Business School. I worked for two years. I passed the CPA exam, and I went on scholarship to Harvard Business School. And while at Harvard, I joined the Harvard boxing team. Oh, wow. Wow. So I, I would box. No one knew. Every afternoon I would go on the main campus to train with the boxing team. And when they found out I was from Philadelphia, it was like, my God, you're from Philadelphia, you're Golden Gloves champ. So I would actually spar bigger guys, a couple guys on the football team. And uh, it's kind of amazing because I would trash them. I hate to say that, but – after you come out of Philadelphia and you're on the Harvard boxing team, it's 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 pretty much it, it's it was pretty easy, but it was fun. It was fun. So my two years there, I was a member of the Harvard boxing team, which I still get the newsletter and the T-shirts. And after Harvard, I came back and I worked in consulting for a firm, a minority-owned firm, John Milligan CPA. And uh, I worked for two years, and I applied, and I got a scholarship to. Howard University School of Law, went to Howard Law School, came back, uh, graduated, passed the New York Bar, and went to work for a bank in Buffalo. So that's pretty much my story. Um, after that, moved back to Jamaica, moved to Grand Cayman, came, to, came back to Philadelphia, and uh, just followed my passion writing for Boxing Beat Magazine around 2006, and um, just continued writing, and um, just you know, was writing for a website, Fight Kings. Anybody would use my article. I love boxing, so um, whoever wanted to publish the article, feel free. I mean, it's just a passion. And uh, in 2012, I, I really won in 2011, So, but they couldn't believe I got so many votes, so they gave it to the next person, uh, Bernard Fernandez, who writes for the Daily News, and somebody protested and said, you can't. Um, uh, the owner, Mike Amacor, Fight Kings, had asked everyone, put an ad on there, everyone to vote for me. But I, I got so many votes, they couldn't believe I got so many votes. But wow. after that was right wow. side, um, from 2012, I've won every year since then as boxing writer of the okay. year. And my photographer is Chris Tony. We started working together in 2010. So, um it's amazing, man. His photographs are so amazing. He's an amazing individual. And we work so well together, and we developed a YouTube channel together, Boxing 396. And people said, how did yes. you come up with the name Boxing 396? I live, sleep, and eat boxing uh, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You add the numbers together, we get 396. 396. And on that channel, we've interviewed everybody, Eddie Hearn, Mike McCollum, Glenn Johnson, you name it, Jeff Mayweather. We interview all the fully fighters. And really, we started it as a way to give them the opportunity to really tell their story and be prepared when they make the big time. I hate to see young fighters 
uh, have a microphone in front of them and they don't know what to say, they say the wrong thing, or they're just too nervous. So we, uh, how can I put it, the practice field for them. Okay. I know I've been speaking a lot, but that's my whole career in a nutshell. No, that's that's um, great. I mean, and that's just coming up with that idea, the Boxing 396, that's, you know, that's one hell of an inspiration for young fighters, like you said, giving them the opportunity before they get in front of the big lights to be able to articulate their story. So, you know, kudos to you for developing that. And I have to say this, somewhere along the line, I think 2014 or 15, I met a a gentleman named Chris Williams who said, could we use your articles on cboxinginfo.com? That's correct. That's correct. And I love, I sure enough, love reading your I stuff. Went to, I said, hey, C-Box and Info, feel free to use it. The only thing I say to people, you can use my articles, you just can't edit them. That's right. That is right. So, And usually, they don't, they don't need to be edited. So you're a strong writer, and your passion comes out in your writing and your coverage for the sport. So that's awesome. So let, let me ask what you this, I mean by, so, by editing, Chris, um, Chris, uh, by, what I mean by it, a lot of times people, for a lot of websites, people want to change their story and really want to edit it because they don't want to insult anybody or they want to be politically correct. And I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to let somebody uh, infringe on my freedom of speech. So if I say something and you don't agree with it, don't publish the article. You're never going to change it. Right, right. And it also tears down the integrity of of what you're trying to do. So what's the point yeah. of taking the article if if you have to change it that much? It's you know you you have a gentleman's agreement. Hey, I'll, I'll publish your stuff. You write it. What's what's the point of taking it if you're going to completely change? the meaning or, you know, something in the article. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. So, But what I wanted to ask you is you say that at 11 years old you came over to the States. So what yes. was that transition like coming from New Forest, Jamaica to Philadelphia? You know, it was pretty easy for me in the sense that my dad had us in Kingston for about a year before we came here. And for me, it's, you know, I just pretty well, even though I lived on a farm, I've traveled the entire world through books. And I probably mm-hmm. knew more about America than Americans know about America. So I traveled through books and I pretty much adjust. The only thing was I had a heavy accent and, um, Kids in the neighborhood didn't know much about Jamaica, and we were the only Jamaicans. And, you know, kids can be mean. They told us, go back to Jamaica and all kind of stuff. But um, for me, I always build bridges. And, and I, we just adjusted to a lot of the young people. A lot of people, I got along with them. And through boxing, I made a lot of my friends. And um, for me, I, I was never a kid that was a scary kid. Uh, my dad always mm-hmm. told me since he was a police officer, um, you know, don't worry what people say about you as long as they don't put their hands on you. And uh, the first person did, I think I was about 13 or 14 years old, the person, the first person thought they could put their hands on me ended up in the hospital. Oh, and wow. uh, that was it. Oh, wow. 
Okay, and and at that point you were well versed in the the fight game, or at least learning a lot more than people thought, uh, right? Yes, 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 yes. So, and I had a lot of good friends. I, I got to say, growing up in Southwest Philadelphia, a lot of the guys I grew up with, we're, we were like brothers, man, and um, they were welcoming and a very nurturing and block. And it's ironic, the same block that I grew up on, I now live on. I live on it because when I came out of Harvard, I bought a house five doors down from where I used to live. So I literally am on the same block I've been on since I've been in this country. That's awesome. That is awesome. So you get to watch that. I just love it, man. I I know everybody in my community. Okay. Okay. That's. I didn't want to to watch everybody grow up and change. Hmm. You were saying? I said you 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 were able to see other people grow up in that neighborhood. You were also able to see some of the changes. So yeah, what has I've that been a, like? Yeah. It's been the, the neighborhood when we first moved in on our block. There weren't a. We were like the fifth black family. Then the whole neighborhood changed, and it's, it became all black. And uh, now you. There's some regentrification, but it hasn't penetrated yet. My my neighborhood is probably still about 99%, but it's changing because there are people moving. And and what happened? I'm probably one of the the only person who have left it, not left, gone to college, and stayed on the same block. Most people who went off, my friends, they went off, they got married, or they went to college. They don't come back to the community. I never left. Got you. Got you. Okay. Now, George, did you play any other sports besides besides boxing? Yeah, of course you don't play boxing, but did you play any other sports or participate in any uh, other sports? Ironically, I made the football team in grade school. I knew nothing about American football, but I was aggressive, wow. and they – put me on the line and told me just go rush the quarterback and I would just attack. And I made the football team, knew nothing about football. And my father didn't want me to play because he said too many people were injured and you could get hurt. But um, he let me box. So that was about (laughs) it. I didn't make the basketball team, but I made the football team and uh, my father didn't want me to play football. But, um, Boxing, he loved boxing, and I loved boxing. So that was pretty much it. And uh, while I was in high school, they wanted me to come out for track and field for long distance, and the the coach didn't believe I didn't want to run. I told him I had boxing practice, so we had an intramural meet or whatever for the cross-country team the mile, and I beat everybody. I ran left everybody in the mile. And he said, well, you'd be a great modeler. I said, no, I can't give up boxing. That commitment to boxing, I like that. I like that. So how long did he chase you and, and try to get you to come out? He didn't but See, the, the irony about it, about a month or two months, he wanted me to run because I just went out and ran against. We had an intramural mile, and there were guys on the cross-country team. And I just mm-hmm. and I said I can run. I run every morning for boxing, so I beat everybody in the mile. 
And he said, how did you learn to run like that or why do you run like that? And I told the coach, I said, I run every morning. I'm a boxer. He didn't believe I boxed because I was in the academically gifted class. Mm-hmm. He thought I was making it up. He actually didn't believe I boxed. <laughs> wow. Didn't believe I boxed. And I said, Coach, I can't. I've got to go to boxing practice. Then uh, at senior, Then months later, I had won the Golden Gloves while I was a senior. And I guess he believed me because at the sports banquet, they found out and West Catholic honored me, and I got a sports award for winning the Golden Gloves. But West Catholic doesn't have oh, wow. a boxing team. So mm-hmm. they made an exception for me, so I went to the banquet. Nice, nice. Now, you, you've mentioned it. You're, you were quite the amateur boxer. So brag about your amateur career and, and talk about some of the guys you faced. Uh, man, there are quite a few guys that, that I faced there or sparred with. Um, I, I don't want to date myself, but these were even – they were unsanctioned bouts, right? There mm-hmm. were club shows before USA Boxing sanctioned them, and we fought. There's one guy won a world title. Uh, he's still my friend to this day. He calls me. My, my fight name was Chicken George because uh, the coach gave me the name, since my name is George, Chicken George from the show Roots. And uh, still my friend today, lightweight champ, Freddie Pendleton. We, we fought three weeks in a row in some smokers. Oh, wow. Um, and that, that's – we're, we're still friends to this day. But I, I tell you this, Freddie hit me, I think, in the second fight. You know, I was playing around, and Freddie caught me with the right hand, and I literally saw birds chirping, flying around my head. And I had to talk to myself. I said, you know, pretend you're not hurt, because if he knows you're hurt, you're going to be out. And uh, that was the guy that made it through, man. And they were what we call exhibitional smokers. But um, they were mm-hmm. all the guys I fought, Huey Buttons, Kearney. He beat me in the Junior Olympics finals. Um couple of guys, Brian McKinley, who turned pro, you name it. But um, it was a lot. Then I sparred with a lot of pros. Okay. A couple of the pros I okay. sparred with, uh, Tyrone Butterfly Crawley, who fought for the lightweight championship. My coach trained him. Um, Kevin Howard, who knocked down Shadori Leonard. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a lot. Yeah, so you've you've been in there with some really big time fighters. So why didn't you go pro? I didn't. You know what? I and, and people ask this. I wanted to go to. I, nothing was gonna. How can I put it? Education was the biggest thing for me. Mm-hmm. And at Drexel University, I said I was going to graduate from college first before I consider going pro. And my senior year, I I got accepted to Harvard, and I I thought my dad would have been more proud of me being a Harvard graduate than winning a world boxing title, if you see my point. Yes. Yes, absolutely. You know, I I think my dad would have been prouder to say my son graduated from Harvard than to say he's a world boxing champion 
But then maybe I could have done both. But after a while, I, I said to myself, well, you know, I graduated from Harvard. Should I turn pro when I graduated from grad school? I'm 25 going on 26. Should I do it? I said, ah, I'm going to work and I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to go to law school. And I, I tell folks is this. I have no regrets in the sense I think about it, but I really have no regrets because I thought it it was a well-thought-out plan. And mm-hmm. I, I knew I got into boxing not to, say, win a world championship or make money, but it's just something I'm passionate about that, that really changed my life. I love boxing. I sit here and I watch fight tapes all day. I write about it. I read it. And I knew I was always going to be involved in boxing. So my next passion is okay. I train fighters, and I've been training fighters for a long time. It's to train the world champion. Oh, wow. So I'm, that, I'm that's a lofty that goal. That's a that really way. lofty goal. That's nice. So I'm in the gym every day, and I, I train fighters. Um, some of them have won the Golden Gloves, and uh, I really believe some of the fighters I have, are, they're going to make it, and, I, and I'm able to guide them. Okay. Okay. All right. And so how much of – so you get, you get these young fighters, you work with them, you're teaching them boxing. How much about your education are, are you able to share with them? Are they receptive to that? Because you have quite the career. I mean, you know, we haven't even talked about what you do professionally yet, but, you know, with your education, your background, how much are you able to share with these amateur fighters or young, young fighters, period, whether they're amateur or pro? A lot, a, a lot. And, and for me, it's a lot. Uh, I, I've been fortunate to get some really good young people uh, at the rec center, Marin Anderson Recreation Center. And for me, I really don't care about whether a fighter or, or, or a young person I'm training, whether they win a world title or not. You get my point? I just care mm-hmm. that 20 years down the line, they're just good people, doing well, taking care of their family. They're not in trouble or anything. And they've learned certain things. So I can go on on the story, the ones that I've helped and the ones that really came into the kids, and they're just staying on the straight and narrow. Um, I, I, I have one young man now, and he's in the PhD program at the University of Georgia. Oh, wow. You get my point. Oh, wow. Uh, I have another young man who, uh, who I believe could be a world champion, but – he had gotten in trouble early. Uh, his mom brought him to the gym at 14 years old. He ended up getting the math award and the leadership award from his high school. Uh, he got an associate, associate degree from community college. He comes in sporadically, but he turned out to be a really great person. And the nice. one fight I have now, I have a Ghanaian kid. He's really good. He works hard, goes to work every day, well-behaved, well-mannered. I think the thing he's learned for me is how to manage his money. You get my point? Um, Mm -hmm. He said, oh, I saved up all this money. I want to get a car. I'm like, why would you buy a car when you can catch public transportation? A car is going to take money out of your pocket. Save your money. Invest your money. So it's just life lessons, man, um, with them. And as long as they turn out to be great people, that's all I care about. And I work with some really – 
great young people. And uh, I have a young lady, uh, Aaliyah the Archer Davis. She, I believe she's going to be a world champion. Um, but she works hard. She's passionate about boxing. She reminds me of myself. And um, that's it. And I have Alberto Garcia. He's a heavyweight. He's Mexican. He's a restaurant owner. He runs a restaurant with his mom. Um, before Andy Ruiz won the heavyweight title, we, we really believe he's going to be the one. So he'll be turning pro in about a year. Okay. So, okay. And That's then exciting. there are the kids. That's really exciting. Bring them to the gym, and I train them. And there are older people who come to the gym, and I still train them. I have a gentleman who's 65 years old. I don't care. I love boxing. As long as you're there to learn the art, I'm here to teach you. And I do it for free. I'm not in boxing to make a dollar. There are a lot of gyms where you see people working the path with these kids and charging them on arm and a leg. Ninety-five percent of the people in boxing who are trained in boxing couldn't teach a dog how to bark or, or teach how to hop up on a cow or a monkey how to peel a banana. They're all shysters. Ninety-five percent of people gotcha. making money in boxing couldn't tell you a left hook from a fish hook, but they know how to do the patty cake pad work, and they, they, they're charging people. I, I've been doing this for free with, with the old man who taught me how to box. We do it for free because we're passionate about boxing. Okay. All right. And who is the most influential coach or person in boxing that is, that's influenced you the most? Who, who is that? Oh, my coach, Charles Ramey, the old man. Charles and I'll Ramey. tell you the lineage. Charles Ramey learned how to box from a, arguably the greatest coach in Philadelphia history who trained Tyrone Everett, um, who got robbed by from in the Alfredo Escalera fight. Jimmy Arthur, he's a legend in Philadelphia, the late, great Jimmy Arthur, who passed away, I believe, 2010. My trainer was trained by him. Jimmy Arthur grew up and learned boxing from Jack Blackburn. So if you see the lineage, Blackburn, Jimmy Arthur, Charles Ramey, myself. That's huge. That's deep. That really is. That's a lot of boxing knowledge. I just consider myself fortunate. Um, So Charles Ramey is the greatest coach. And uh, there are other coaches here that I I really like. Another gentleman is uh, my, my man, Derek Bozy Ennis, who just turned 65 today, his son, Jerron Boots Ennis, is 26-0, 24 knockouts, the best welterweight on the planet. Now, his father, Bozy, I've known Bozy for a long, long time. His father actually spars with his fighters. He's still sparring at 65. He looks about wow. 35. Bozy Ennis. So, those are, yes. you get my point, I, I follow Bozy, the old man, and, and those are two of the coaches that I, that I put right there that are great coaches that are in Philadelphia that are really great. Those, those are the two for me. Okay. Because okay. Bozy won't even tell you. He will show you. <laughs> Charles, Ramey just, Charles Ramey just a wealth of knowledge, man, so – those are the two greatest coaches right now in Philadelphia, Charles Ramey and Derek Boziennis. Okay. All right. And Jerron Boots Ennis, he uh, is some kind of talent. 
the best welterweight on the planet. I tell people I'm not his publicist. I just, when you see a fighter that makes you go, wow, I got to talk about it. Mm-hmm. When I look at that and kid, what is, and what about I've been him? Watching them since Do you see he was so like special? three years old. Uh-huh. Okay. You've been watching him since he's three. What about him do you see that's so special? See, I, I will tell you this, right? It's one thing to learn boxing, but it's another thing to grow up in boxing, which you know how kids learn how to walk and you learn how to do certain things? Duran Boots Anderson, and I said this, and I know that Showtime stole it because I wrote it, I wrote years ago that Duran Ennis got a mouthpiece before he got a pacifier. That was my line, right? I uh-huh. said that I wrote it. Next thing I know, Showtime is using it. But he literally got a mouthpiece before he got a pacifier. Instead of a pacifier, he got a mouthpiece. He grew up in the gym pretty much like Floyd Mayweather, right? It's like Michael Jackson growing up in New that's what he knows. Boxing is second nature to him. He's comfortable in the ring. Um, it's second nature. Then he works hard. Then he has a father who's a great trainer. He has speed. He has power. He can hit you from odd angles. And um, the great footwork. Got a great mind. I mean, I remember one fight at the arena, 2300 Arena, um, you know, he, he was he was, he was making a few moves, so I, I I was impressed for a ringside. So I called him on his cell phone. He pulled it out of his trunks during the fight. He answered his cell phone during the fight, and I said, "Throw the uppercut," and he did it and knocked the guy out. Oh wow! I'm just making this up. <laughs> um, I'm exaggerating. <laughs> the man answered his cell phone during the fight. But that he's very talented, man. Very talented. I just hope he gets yes. his opportunity. Yes, it's so one of those it, fighters you know, that makes you feel well. Yeah, and, and people complain because they're like, "Oh, they're not bringing him along fast enough." And I think it's the perfect pace because he's gonna reach everybody. Like when he gets to Spence, Thurman, any of those guys, and, he'll and reach him the at the hard perfect part time. Because he's like he's like the man that's looking out. See, boxing now is how we put it. Um, all the top fighters, the top welterweights, are with PBC. Al Heyman is the advisor. Deron Boots Ennis isn't. It's pretty much like we look at Terrence Crawford. He he's with uh, top rank. He's not with Heyman. So pretty much it seems like he's on the out. You get my point? And yes, we're yes. hoping all these people can come together and let us get the fight. Let the fighters fight each other. Mm-hmm. And it yep. seems no one wants to fight Boutenis. I mean, to me, I, I don't see the big deal. Tommy Hearns, I believe Hearns was 22 or 23 when he fought Ray Leonard. Um to me, I would put Jerron Ennis in there with Errol Spence. Wow. I would put him is in there he, with is Errol he, Spence. Is he, is he strong enough for that fight? I, I, he, I won't doubt his talent. 
I will never now, what doubt his talent. Is he, what he, is he strong enough for that fight? Um, yes. He's fighting a welterweight. Errol Spence is a welterweight. He's not fighting a light heavyweight. He's fighting Errol Spence, uh, a welterweight. We didn't say whether Tommy Hearns was strong enough when he fought Quavis. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He was, what was he, 21 years old? We didn't say mm-hmm. Tommy Hearns. Duran Boots Ennis. What's Duran now, 23 or 22? He's about the same age Hearns was when, when he fought Leonard. Okay. A, a lot of times we tend to wait until fighters and we say, oh, is he ready? He's ready to fight Errol Spence right now. He's ready to fight Terrence Crawford. He's ready to fight Sean Porter. He's ready to fight Keith Thurman. Okay. All right. So physically, yes, he's ready for those fights. Let's say that. But here, here is the thing that I had with the Hearns-Leonard one fight. Hearns had never been tested. Like his metal had never been tested. So when he got hit, in the late rounds, he didn't know how to hold on. He didn't, like, mentally, he wasn't right there. So, and that's, I guess that's my biggest question. And I know that Ennis, is, he's, he's been brought up in boxing, and he's been ex- exposed to a lot of stuff. But has he ever been tested like that to fight, uh, get, overcome adversity? Uh, let, let's say this. Let, let's, be, let's be honest. When we say test, Hearns overcame adversity in that fight because, you know, in the sixth round, he got hit with a body shot, right? The mm-hmm. problem is, is that that Leonard fight would have ended about the eighth or ninth round because of Leonard's eye. So in today's, in today's world, Tommy Hearns would have won that fight on TKO. Let's be intellectually honest. Okay. That okay. fight should have been over. So people, it's just that Ray was such a gladiator that he was able to overcome all that and still rally in the late rounds. Remember, what was it, round 13 or 14, that that fight was stopped, right? But mm-hmm. in reality, these are 12-round fights. So Hearns would have won going away on the scorecard. And based on how boxing is more uh, careful now or care more about the health of a fighter, there's no way they would have allowed Ray Leonard to continue fighting with his eyes closed like that. And pretty much Tommy Hearn destroyed Ray's career with that detached rep. Right. That came from that Hearns fight. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah, it, it changed they, a lot after that. that fight. Hearn, Hearns was ready. He was tested because go back and watch it. He got hurt with a hard body shot. I think the fifth round. But he knew how to, mm-hmm. you know, survive. But the thing you're asking, did he know how to grab and hold? Probably not. I don't know. But uh, in this day and age, that fight would have been over. Okay. So is Jerron Houston is tested? Has he been hurt? No. Nobody has hit him yet. So we don't know. But I would love to find out. Mm -hmm. But the question is, has Errol Spence been tested? When has except for the Kell Brook, except for the Kell Brook, you're you're right. Kell Brook fight, he won that fight thanks to uh, Triple G. Yes, he was damaged goods going into that fight. Right. The question is, is yeah. not whether Jerron Boots has been tested against Earl Spence. 
has Errol Spence been tested? Has he been hit by somebody that's just as big as he is, much faster, and he's going to be hitting him from angles that he won't see the punches? And you have to notice, Ennis is a better puncher than Spence. So the question is not whether Duran Boots-Ennis has been tested. Has Errol Spence been tested? Yeah, that's a good question. Very good question. And hopefully we'll find out one day. So so Earl Spence would be a great fight for him. So what about a guy, a veteran, nasty veteran like Sean Porter? How does that fight play out? Can I say this? Um, I got a better chance of beating Usain Bolt in a foot race than Sean Porter has of beating Jerron Boots in this. Whoo! <laughs> Listen, the only way I would pick Porter in that fight is the commissioner gave him an exemption and allowed him to wear a football helmet and a chest protector. <laughs> so, I, 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 the Porters were very nice people. Um, Kenny Porter is a nice man, and him and his son have nothing but respect for them. But I, I do like Sean Porter as a person, so I, I, I would not want to see him get seriously hurt. So I, I wouldn't wow. put him in there with Jerron Boutinis. Okay. All right. And I guess the only one would be Terrence Crawford. That, that would be now, the big fight. That that would be a good fight and a big fight and, and Crawford is just a mean dude that that's a great test, but um Crawford can't outbox Jerron Ennis. Can't outbox him. If you know this Crawford's fight, right? Um, Gamboa was outboxing Crawford. A smaller man. Mm-hmm. Um, if you notice the fight, Crawford hasn't looked spectacular. What he has been able to do is figure out these fighters and beat them. But early, he's trying to figure it out, and these guys are winning rounds. So he gets behind with Ennis. Don't think he's – it's going to be a chess match because he's going to be behind the first four rounds with Ennis, but he won't be able to figure him out. Oh, wow. I'm that confident. Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't doubt it. I, you've seen him a lot. I've seen him very little. He, he actually fought in North Carolina, and I was super impressed with him. So, and have followed him ever since. And I think he is a tremendous talent. And I can't wait for him to get a little more seasoned and get thrown in there with those guys. I, and that's going to make people, it's going to take I, I boxing up another people, level. I don't see why people. Nowadays, we were waiting on guys to get a million fights and be seasoned because we're, what they mean by seasoning is give them a lot of ducks so they get to – who wants to be – Deontay Wilder, right, needed 33 <laughs> fights before he won a world title. Teron Ennis is ready right now to fight for a world title, right? Well, he doesn't need any mm-hmm. more season. I mean, if he needs some season, I can buy him a bottle of Jamaican jerk sauce <laughs> That's the only season he needs. All right. 
doesn't need any more I'll treatment. Take you. The, the kid's been in a boxing gym. He's been boxing. What is he now? I, let me see. Boots, 23. He's been boxing for at least 21 years. Okay. Okay. And, and like you said, he, it's kind of like the Mayweathers. Floyd was exposed to everything, every possible style. So it may be the same advantage that Boots has. So he's probably seen everything, either sparring or whatever, inside the ring. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's some, you know, there's some credence Listen, to that. If the, if so the man needs you. some more, you know, all these fighters, they talk about they need season, right? Because that's because their promoters giving them a bunch of duck, ducks, right? Some rings you go in mm-hmm. and you look at the opponents and you wonder why they're using grease to put on their fighters' face. They should be using Chinese duck sauce because – have these opponents or ducks. <laughs> Put duck sauce in their bucket. Come on. Duran mm-hmm. Ennis is 26-0 with 24 knockouts. The only seasoning he needs is some Jamaican jerk sauce that he could put on his steak when he's celebrating his championship dinner. That's the only seasoning he I needs. Get I got you. All right. All right, George. So let, let's talk about let's refocus and talk about your career as a boxing writer. So, you know, we briefly touched on it from 2012 to 2019. You were recognized as the, as the Philadelphia Boxing Writer of the Year. Talk about your journey to that honor, because I know it wasn't easy for you to get there. Uh, you know, it's, let me use, it depends on how people see obstacles. I never see obstacles. It's it's fun, right? Because what I used to do, I just started writing. And what I, and it's easy in some ways. It was easy in Philadelphia getting press credentials. But then when you start to go to places like Madison Square Garden in the 2006, 2008, sometimes people give you a difficult time. And, and I've met some people that, um, I, I cannot put it, they they don't really have people skills. These are the publicists or the gatekeepers to give you credentials. And um, if they can't give me a credential, I just don't go. And uh, some people give you a hard time. But uh, in Philadelphia, people say, well, why don't you go to some of the big fights? I don't have time. I have enough to cover in Philadelphia. So it's been relatively easy besides I don't allow the one or two people who have given me a hard time will say, well, the big press is coming. We can't give you a credential. Well, oh, keep it. You, you get my point? I have enough to cover in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and I've had a really great relationship getting credentials in Philadelphia, um, great fights in Philadelphia. So it, it's been easy in, this, in that sense, and writing has always been easy for me because I, I, I love writing. I love writing. Um, but it's when you start going to the Madison Square Garden or some of these places, then some of these gatekeepers really believe that uh, they're going to give you a hard time. Well, which publication do you write for? Well, I write for Vikings. Well, it's not big enough. Well, uh, I cannot give you a credential. Well, hey, keep it. <laughs> um, I'm going to drive the Madison Square Garden from Philadelphia to write about it, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to write a 10-page article and I'm even going to cover, I'm even going to give a page to the four-rounder. When I write an article, 
I will write mm-hmm. a comprehensive article, right? Yes. I will cover four rounder like a main event. And if you don't like it's going to be on a website. If you don't like it, well, I put my credential against every writer in, 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 in who's writing about boxing in this world. Nice. I put my story nice. up against anyone. Now, as a black writer, so you you face like like you said, you don't see obstacles, but you know you go into a press room, and we've we've been in press rooms together, and sometimes it's just me, you, and one other black writer. So getting yeah, the recognition I've been, I've been that the only you black deserve. Right, I've been the only black person in the press room, but also no that 99% of the time in the press room, I'm also the only lawyer. I'm also the only Harvard graduate in there, right? Mm-hmm. So don't, I, I'm like Jack Johnson. I, I don't care what you think about me. You get my point? I know, yes. I know that I can write better than you. But, but, okay. uh, but also being a fighter myself, right? You might a lot of writers are nice, but you have some writers that really believe people come to the fights to see it. I've never gone to a boxing match to go to the press room to see the writers. Never gone to a fight to see the promoters. I've never gone to a fight to see the publicists and the gatekeepers. I go to fights to see the fighters and appreciate them. And as a fighter or a former fighter, that's why I'm at the fight. So when I go into the press room, I'm not mesmerized. I'm not a fan or anything. I go into the press room. And like you said, a lot of times we're the only black writers in there. But it doesn't bother me. I hope more African-Americans or what I do hope is this, that a lot of former fighters will start writing. You get my point? I mm-hmm. hope more fighters, and we have a lot of fighters who can write. I hope they will start writing. More fighters start covering the sport because a lot of times you have guys who are writing about boxing. They could tell a fish hook from a left hook. Right. And okay. I just sit there, man. Mm. Okay, really. So okay. that, that's, that's it. Excellent. That, the, the platform is lonely. So, you said the press room is. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, well, based on going in the press room, there are not a lot of people of color in the press room, especially when you go to the big venues. And you do have some writers. I'm not going to mention any names who feel that they they are God. They're coming to a fight, and you should kiss the ring. And I, I really, I just really laugh. I'm not in the fight too. Um, I don't care if you write for ESPN or somewhere else. I can write you under the ground. And there's no way you can tell a boxing story better than me because you don't see it the way I see it because I'm actually seeing what the fighter is seeing. Mm-hmm. So that, I don't mean to mention any name that show up and. They think they're celebrities. I'm like, listen, you lose your job for this network. You're nobody. (laughs) 
I would not, not know who you're talking about, but I, I'll, I'll think well, about I, that. I mean, there are a few pompous people who need to yes. go on a Jenny Craig diet instead of trying to think they're special. But I walk past those people. I got you. you know, I got you. I don't you. care what you think. I, do I get up and go, what does this person think about this fighter? No, I don't. If I want to know, I call a fighter. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's good. Now, if you could give advice to an up-and-coming writer, what would you tell them, especially, you know, if you're addressing, you know, aspiring young black writers? What I tell people, um, what I would tell every writer, right, is this. Read broadly. You get my point? When you read broadly, I mean, I read everything. When you read broadly, you can, there's so many points of reference. There's so many things you can pull on, if you see my point. When you have so many Mm -hmm. ingredients in your kitchen, you can, you can, oh my God, you can add so many ingredients. You can make a good recipe. So when you read broadly and when you're versed in history and when you know, when you study boxing, right, you can compare things. And then when you love it, and um, that's what I would tell them. Then I would tell a lot of the, read broadly, number one, watch a lot of boxing and spend time in the gym. Spend a lot of time in the gym to really learn the art and see how fighters think. And, and, if you could, go spar. It might be too nice. much, but at least spend time in the gym. That's what I would tell her. And read broadly. And read books on boxing. Read, read the old mongoose by Archie Moore. Read Jack Johnson and Jack Dempsey's autobiography. Read about Muhammad Ali. Understand the time. Watch old films. Understand Archie Moore. Know about Sam Langford. Buy the pictorial history of boxing and read it from cover to cover like I did when I was 12 years old. So really learn boxing. Study your game. Study the craft. Learn the fighters. Get to know them. Talk to the fighters. Don't wait until they become a celebrity. Talk to them when they're four-rounders. And lastly, have respect for every fighter. And never try to disparage a fighter. I, I never try to insult anybody. I see writers put it, oh, well, this fighter didn't have any heart. He did this. This fighter's a coward. And they make disparaging remarks. Well, um, your fat ass have never had a, you've never <laughs> busted a grape at a fruit fight. So sit your fat ass down. <laughs> you get my point? Uh, we can say ass on a podcast. I do. But uh, I really don't care. Don't disparage fighters. I've never written an article. I'm going to tell the truth, right? But I'm not mm-hmm. going to disparage the fighter. Oh, he's a bum. He's no good. He's not this. He's not this. And I've seen some writers do that. But I know this. 99.9% of the time, sitting in the press row, I'm the only person who ever had a fight. Right. Right. So you understand what they're going through. When a guy has to sit on his on his stool or you know, that, that pressure keeps hitting that eye and he's 
He's like, I can't right. take it anymore. So you understand that. So that and that's a great you know point of view to come from. Sacrifice. I understand the sacrifice of getting up in the ring. I know what it is to get up at five o'clock to run. I know a lot of these young people, a lot of them have been hoodwinking, bamboozled. They're getting $1,200 or $800 or whatever, but they get up there and they fight. It takes a lot to get in that ring. Then I see a fat ass sitting at ringside talking about, oh, this fighter has no heart. He's a coward. Oh, he's a bum. Um, wait, I- I've had to correct a few people. What have you ever accomplished? Right, right, all right. So I, George, I don't you disparage use a, fighters. Go ahead. I don't disparage fighters. Try to understand, and um, mm. and and try to cover the sport as best I could, and honestly as possible. Okay, all right. Now you use a creative writing style to accurately describe and tell the stories of the great fights you've seen. How did you adopt that style? Because it is impeccable what you're able to do. For me, man, and it's about storytelling, right? And, and you read broadly, right? Richard Wright is one of my favorite writers. Uh, mm-hmm. Mark Twain. You, you, you name the writers that, that I love. Cre- not creative. You've got to be able to tell a story. You get my point? Yes. You've got to be able to tell a story, and you might use history, what's going on in history. Uh, for me, I don't know how I'm going to tell the story, but everything is a piece of, everything is a piece of paint. I try to paint it. I try to tell a story by using words to paint a picture, to actually put you in the ring. And it depends on what's going on at the time or what's on my mind. It depends on how I want to tell the story of that fight. I remember one night I covered a fight. And I said, you know, the only way I can really give justice to this is to pretend that I have Sugar Ray Robinson, Henry Armstrong, and Archie Moore, and a bunch of, de- bunch of these guys who I know are deceased, and we're talking about the fight in my living room. So that's how I told the story. Oh, wow. With, with four dead guys. You get my point? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's just creative, you know. Um, that's it. I don't know how I'm going to tell the story, but it has to be interesting. Okay. And nobody says you have to. I don't like reading an article. Well, I went to the fights, and this happens, and blah, 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 and the fighter got in there, and the blow by blow. I can give a blow by blow, but you have to make it interesting. Mm-hmm. And you have to tell a story. You have to paint a picture. Nice. Nice. I'm liking that. So, I'm not a writer. I'm a painter. I tell people I'm not a writer. I'm a painter. I I just, people use a brush and paint. I paint a picture with words. And that's all I'm painting, a picture. And, And my job, my job as a writer is to put you in the venue, put you so 100 years from now, the person reading the story will know what's going on in this country, what's going on in the world, how the weather was that day, and what what's significant. And, and literally, I'm walking you from the dressing room into the ring 
So you're actually in the ring with that fighter. That's excellent. Because I, I think about the, uh, the great sports writers or boxing writers from the past. And one of the things they were able to always do is speak the social conscience of the time and mix it yes. with boxing. Like, if you read about Jack, Jack Johnson, you know what was going on at that time. Even yep. Ali and, and Frazier and, and those, you know, that was good writing and good reads, and it's hard to find that nowadays. So, yes, I totally buy into that. I wish I was better at doing that, but, yes. And you, and you do a great job of that, whether you use, you know, music or uh, social Politics. event that's happening. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, you do a very good job of that. Now, speaking of being creative, and I don't know if you remember this, but I remember the first fight we actually got to sit at and talk for a long period of time was the Super 6 tournament, Glenn Johnson yeah. versus Carl Frock. Okay. Oh, what so the frock, frock and my article was, what the frock happened? Yes. <laughs> my article was entitled, what the frock happened. Yes, but George, the thing that I remember about that fight, because it was so one-sided, right? But what I remember is we were sitting together, and there was a guy sitting in between us. And after every round, you would stand up and say, oh, man, did you see the work that Glenn did? And it's like, what the hell is George talking about? But after about the eighth, eighth round, it became hysterical because the guy sitting between us, had the fight even. And even after the 12th round, because you kept standing up and saying, oh, man, Glenn Johnson did a great job. Did you see how he threw that hook? And you just kept doing it and pushing it and pushing it. And then at the end, the guy was like, man, I, I, he's like, I got frocked by a hair, maybe seven to five, maybe even a draw. And I sat there and I was like, what the hell did George just pull off? But because but, 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 you of know, how you were animated... Have you go, gone back and watched that fight? I think Glenn lost by a majority decision or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you go back and watch that fight, right, Glenn Johnson won that fight. There's no way in hell Carl Frock won that fight. No, I'm serious. I went back and watched that fight. Glenn threw the hardest shot. Glenn Johnson won that fight. They gave it to Carl Frock. I'm not saying it. I'm telling being as objective and watching that fight, mm-hmm. I had Glenn Johnson winning that fight. I'll have to go back and watch it. But at go the, back at and the watch time it. sitting ringside, I'll have to go back and watch it. I don't know but what at the fight time, were watching. Okay. But at the time sitting ringside, I didn't have it that close. But I, I thought it was funny how you were able to impact the guy sitting between us who was a white guy and he was from england i believe or somewhere in the uk but he <laughs> the way you sold that it, it it demonstrated what you're able to do with your writing as well yeah. as how you were able to act it out and impact somebody so i i never i took that away from that and go, i thought go, that was, go back that and was watch, pretty go cool go back and watch that fight glenn johnson won that fight they didn't want andre ward to fight glenn johnson they gave it to Frock because it's a bigger it's a bigger audience when you have a British guy fighting an American guy, um, and, and who knows what Glenn Johnson might have done with Andre Ward. 
But Glenn Johnson, to me, and I, I'm friends with Glenn. I've watched that mm-hmm. fight over and over. I think he, one judge had a good draw, and two judges gave it to Frost. So that fight, to me, Glenn Johnson landed the harder punches. He was on Frost like a cheap seersucker suit in the, in, in the middle of summertime. From the bell rang, <laughs> Glenn was in his chest. And he was hitting him hard. So no, please watch it again. Don't take my, don't take my word. Go watch it again. And no, I, not, I will. Remember, I will. this is a professional boxing match, right? Where we give points mm-hmm. not to shots that land. Who's landing the harder shots? What do you like the aggressor? If if Carl, if the if the tables were turned and Glenn Johnson were Carl Fox and Fox was Glenn Johnson, that fight would have been a landslide. It was close as far as fighting, but somebody was winning the round. So after 10 rounds, if somebody barely adds somebody, then that person is going to win by. I hate when people say, well, it was a close fight. It was a, it was a 98 to whatever fight. But I'm telling people, you can have a close fight, a very close fight as far as fighting goes, but a landslide on the scorecard. If, I, if you're barely edging me out, Round after round, and we're fighting close, but you barely edge me out. After 10 rounds and you barely edge me out at, in 10 rounds, you're going to be 10 points ahead. But it's still a close yeah, fight, you, if you understand what I mean. But people can't still understand Still scoring at 10-9, right? Still scoring at right. 10-9. Yeah. People think a close fight got to be close. A close fight does not have to be close on the scorecard. It can be close as far as fighting, but you got to give somebody 10-9 a round. And if I barely right. edge you out 10 rounds, I'm going to win by 10 points. It's not close on the scorecard, but it's close as far as fighting goes. And people cannot understand that concept because America does not teach math in school anymore. <laughs> Sometimes I, I have to point uh. people. A fight can yeah, be close as far as fighting, but not close on the scorecard. People don't get that concept because they're stuck on stupid. Got you. I got you. All right, George. Now, quickly give me your top five fighters and what fights you want to see. I know you, you talked about uh, boot tennis. So what okay. other fighters, who's in your top five, and what fights do you want to see in 2021? Okay, let, let, let me give you my top five fighters. One, Jerron Boutsenis. Two, Jerron Boutsenis. Three, Jerron Boutsenis. Four, Jerron Boutsenis. Five, Jerron Boutsenis. Those are my top five fighters. Now, the All fights right, that I want to see... <laughs> Uh, the fights yes. that I want to see, I really yes. want to see Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence because mm-hmm. they are the two best welterweight champions. And I love unification bouts. If you have the title, let's unify and get one champion. So I really want to see Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence. And I need Spence to stop saying A side and B side. If you want an excuse why you shouldn't fight Crawford, just say you don't want to fight him. But I don't want to hear this A-side, B-side, because I never heard it from the four greatest welterweights 
four of the greatest welterweight. Never heard it from Duran. Never heard it from Ray Leonard, who was my guy. Ray walk on water as far as his skill. Never heard it from my favorite fighter, Tommy Hearn. Never heard it from Marvin Hagler. They fought. They didn't say A-side or B-side. They said, let's make it happen. Right. So I want to see that. Next fight I want to see, I want to see the Gypsy King, you know, Tyson Fury versus mm-hmm. my man, my Nigerian brother, Anthony Joshua. Make the fight. And I'm betting my house that Joshua knocks out Fury. Oh, wow. Period. Wow. Oh, he's going to knock him out. I mean, people keep acting like Fury. Listen, there's too many question marks with Fury. Um, it, it, he raises more questions than he provides answers, but he's tailor-made for Anthony Joshua. Now, let's move to the, the lightweight division, which I believe in unification matches. I, I, I love Devin Haney, um, very talented young man. Love Teofimo Lopez, very talented, very courageous man. Javante uh, Davis, very talented fighter with erasers in both hands. It's a beautiful time to be a lightweight. It's time to let those guys fight each other. Yes. Period. So much competition. Wonderful fighters, mm-hmm. contrasting styles. Lopez wants to fight everybody, and kudos to him for taking on Lomachenko. And let those fights happen. Lopez, Davis, uh, you know, Ryan Garcia, Devin Haney. Yes. Let mm-hmm. those fights happen. They, they're young. I mean, Hearns fought Leonard, and they all fought Benitez. They fought Durant, so let it happen. So I love those. And a fight I want to see, um, I want to see all the Bantamweight champions since my favorite fighter, what I consider the most talented fighter in boxing today, Graham O'Riggendale, he moved down from 122 to Bantamweight. He's, he's a WBA Bantamweight champ. I want to see him fight uh, the Japanese champ or the world champion, Inoue. Yes, yes. I want to wow. see him, even though he's 40 years old, they don't want Inoue to fight him. Riggendale is technically the most talented fighter around today. The man's a genius. So I want to see that fight. And then the next fight I want to see, let, let me give it to my Philly brother, Tevin Farmer and Jojo Diaz. I want to see that rematch. Mm. Nice. I That's a good fight, rematch. too. That's a very, you know, the part two would be amazing. I, so. I, I want to see it because I, I don't think Farmer was at his best. I think he had some distractions the first time. Second time, I like Jojo Diaz. Um, I would love to see them fight again. Okay. And then in the middleweight division, oh, boy, uh, let's unify the titles. Let's unify the titles. So what is it, George? Is there no money in the unifications? What? Why can't we have one champ? I mean, the, the best part about the tight for me, the best part about Tyson Fury and Anthony, Anthony Joshua is that we get a heavyweight unification fight. Yeah. But in the other divisions, they just it just doesn't happen. So is it the money? What is it? People always say it's the money because the, the promoters and the managers – don't want it to happen 
because a lot of people are scared of losing. You get my point? Mm-hmm. If I can ride this out, somebody's going to lose. But if I have a champion, I'd rather go this way and make as much money as humanly possible. And, and it's just that me, for, it's just that it's the promoters and it's the managers. I, I believe the fighters, I know if I were a, a boxer and I'm a world champion, I know I would want all the belts. So, therefore, I would want a unification match. So I believe it's the managers. They're protecting their interests. As long as they have a world title, they can command certain purses. But if it's a unification match, you know, people aren't willing. They, they're not willing to risk their fighter losing or losing a title. It's the managers and the promoters. I honestly believe all the fighters want to unify the belt. And if mm-hmm. there's a champion who said they don't want to unify, I've never heard a champion say, my God, a unification match is bad for my career. Um, I believe the fighters want to unify the belts, but it's just the management. Gotcha. And the promoter. Mm-hmm. And if, you're, if your fighter has a world title, and it, it's kind of shameful. If you're a world champion and you don't want to fight another world champion, then you should just get out of boxing. Seriously. And and this is one of the reasons I, I tell people this, right? I love Sugar Ray Leonard. I love Tommy Hearns. I love Roberta Duran, Quavis, and all those guys, right? Guess what? I love Benita. You know why? They wanted to unify the belt. They wanted to fight each other. I yes. never heard Tommy Hearns said, well, you know why. Not the A side or B side. Tommy's like, let's unify the belts. Ray Leonard, let's unify the belts. Marvin Hagler, I want to fight everybody. Mm-hmm. Do you see anybody with that mentality now? Fighters? Yes. Um, oh, my. Because at, so, at some point, at some point, the fighters have to have the final say-so. And I know, you know, you got a guy like Crawford over at top rank or any of the top rank fighters. You know, at some point, they have to be like, you know what? you got to make this happen or else nothing else is going to happen. So do you the see any fighter fighters that with that kind of... Terrence Crawford. Terrence Crawford wants to fight everybody, including King Kong. <laughs> you get my point? Terrence Crawford has that yes. mentality. Remember, he unified the lightweight championship. He wants to fight everybody in the welterweight division. Terrence Crawford has that mentality from the 80s. That's the one fighter I can unequivocally say wants to fight everybody, Terrence Crawford, without a doubt. Okay. Okay. That's good stuff. And All right, George, well, I'll end it there, but before we go, let me There's a second make fight sure I have to mention. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Charlo, go ahead. The Charlo brothers, they want to fight everybody. But will they ever get the fights that they want? That's the question. I don't, I don't know because everybody wants to be political and it's a risk if you fight that. You know, people just, I don't know, fighters got to make more demands, right? And just take the fight. If you want to be great, you've got to chase greatness, like Sugar Ray Leonard did 
Tommy Hearns. But, uh, you know, you've you, you got to ask for these fights. you got to demand them. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, all right. Well, shameless plug time. Go ahead and brag about, you know, what you do. Tell everybody again about your uh, your YouTube channel and how listeners oh, yeah. can find you on social media. Well, people can find me on social media, on Instagram, uh, the Pope of Pugilism, right? And, and that's mm-hmm. me uh, on, on Instagram, and I'm on Facebook. That's about it. I'm not on Twitter. I, I don't even know how to send a tweet, so I'm going to go out and buy a, a parakeet tomorrow and see if I can tweet. <laughs> you get my point? So that that's hey. about it. And, um, and on, on Boxing 396 on YouTube, Boxing 396, we have interviewed, during COVID, we've interviewed so many people, my good friend Jeff Mayweather. Um, we even got Faison Love from uh, the movie Friday, Big Worm. And we interviewed Faison because Faison grew up with one of my best friends from law school. They actually grew up on the same block as Archie Moore. Archie Moore, former light heavyweight champ, lived on their block, and they used to go to his house and talk to Archie Moore. So Faison Love, shout out to my man Big Worm. Uh, He's a huge, huge boxing fan, and he's very knowledgeable about boxing. And... um, We've interviewed Glenn Johnson during COVID. Yesterday we did Alicia Slick Ashley, the oldest world champion ever, uh, mm-hmm. and she's Jamaican. She, she's in Shanghai, China, training a boxing team. And uh, yesterday we also interviewed uh, Ray the Emperor Nar, 2000 Ghanaian Olympian, who lost to Mike Alvarado uh, back in 2011. Ray's still in New York. I think he's going to make a comeback. Um, I thought he was the Tommy Hearns of Ghana. But uh, I oh, wow. met some shark in shark-infested water in this boxing game, and uh, that that impacted his career. So that's about it for me, Chris. And besides that, man, um, it's just following boxing. I love boxing. And I follow a few people on Instagram where they post uh, – there's a gentleman, King Amin, a Jamaican brother from New Jersey. Uh, he pretty much can predict all the fights, and I, I follow him on Instagram. I follow Spencer Theron uh, from from the U.K. He was a former fighter, the youngest black promoter in England. My man, Ben Dowdy, he's friends with Spencer Theron. So I stay in touch with the U.K. boxing and all the great people here in Philadelphia. You know, we have a lot of really great writers, people who cover the sport of boxing. Yes, a passion with course, a passion. And, of yes. course, I follow cboxinginfo.com. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And, I, and, George, you know, honestly, I, I appreciate all the support you've given me in the past and going forward. So, again, this is – this is truly an honor for me. So keep writing, my friend. We need more of you. Um, you had a unique experience. You shared it with us. And I sincerely thank you for coming on and sharing your story on the Chris now, Williams and, podcast. And, and I have to say this, Chris. Uh, I appreciate it, man. But what you do 
I, I take my hat off for you for, you know, all you did for boxing or all you continue to do for boxing. When we talk about North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and covering all those fights, and you made it all the way up here to still cover fights. So, see boxing info is near and dear to my heart, and thank you for carrying the article and posting it and being so passionate about boxing, man, and, and covering it in, in those states, which is well needed. Yes. Yes, I appreciate that, and, and not a problem. I'm trying to be like you. When I grow up, I'm going to be just like you. <laughs> well, we we love boxing, man, and you can tell by your passion from the day I met you. You love the sport, and, and that's all we need, people who are passionate about the sport. You love boxing. It doesn't matter a four-rounder or whatever. You're going to cover it. You're passionate about it. Yes. Yeah, and it shows yes. in everything you do. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. George, again, thank you. It's been an honor, and we'll talk soon. Take care, my brother. Thank you again, and shout-out to everybody who have a dream, and continue to support the sweet science.